Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. It's Wednesday, October 17th, 2012, and you are listening to the Talking Comics Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Shortle, and I am sitting here by myself. That's right, everybody. Um, So as you guys know, we did Comic-Con this weekend, and uh, it was great. Uh, We brought you guys two podcasts from there, and this third podcast is going to be um, a setup of all the interviews we did on the show floor for the con, you're going to hear everything from writers to artists, um, you know, indie, major publisher. You know, we had a great time. We had a lot of good content for you guys, and I want to bring it to you guys all together on this one show. Now, if you guys are interested in listening to them separately, uh, there's going to be posts up so you can stream them separately. I could not put them all up individually on. Uh, the podcast feed because I only have so much space to put stuff up so I couldn't really do that without spending a fortune on it Uh, but you know I think you guys are really going to enjoy it even if you don't know these people even if you don't necessarily have any pre-interest in the things that uh, they do I think there's a lot of good content here that you guys are going to love Uh, don't worry uh, next week we're going to be back with a regular show and we're going to go over all the books that we haven't been talking about you know we're going to talk about Marvel now we're going to talk about more about Death of the Family we're going to be talking about Daredevil End of Days which I absolutely loved which we didn't get a chance to talk about yet and so on and so on and so on and then hopefully uh, the week after that which is Halloween week we are going to be having a setup of uh, horror authors and writers uh, on the show to give you guys a really fun lead up to the uh, the big scary holiday. So without further ado, let's take you back to New York Comic Con 2012, Artist Alley. Here is Steve Say. Talking comics and on the spot interview with Camilla D'Arico, artist and lovely, lovely uh, person here at Artist Alley at Comic-Con uh, 2012. So, how are you enjoying the con? Uh, it's, you know, it's Thursday night. It's the first Thursday they've done, so I'm enjoying it. It's, a, it's like a bonus night. Awesome. But it's fun. They've, they've, <laughs> they've, they've put all of us artists into our own, like, room. It's crazy. That's awesome. Um, so, let me ask you, where, uh, what first inspired you? Where do you get your inspiration for your work? That's actually the hardest question I, can, I could answer because it's... If I, I wish I knew exactly where all my inspiration comes from, but it depends on, you know, uh, what I'm going through in my life. Uh, you know, as an earlier artist, I was really um, into, like, steampunk. I still love the steampunk, but as, as, as a human being, I've just, I evolve, and I become more feminine, I've become more feminine, and mostly I'm inspired by nature and 
contradictions and uh, I love uh, the human enigma. I love to dissect a person's personality and use iconic images to sort of uh, make a visual puzzle of that. Very, very cool. Um, so where do, you, where do you see yourself five years from now? Oh, uh, well, if I'm doing this, I'll be super happy. But five years from now, I hope I'm in Bali painting um, on an island, so, or like on a beach. And, uh, and then I'll have an anime out because I would give anything to have an anime um, of one of my books out. So I'll fund it for you. Oh, please do. That would be fantastic. Uh, let me ask you, if you could work with any one writer to, to help create the anime, who would you choose? To create the anime? Yeah. Oh, man. Well... Would you write it yourself? No, I wouldn't write it myself. I'm not really good at dialogue. My dialogue sounds kind of like the dialogue in uh, in Fifty Shades of Grey. No, I'm just kidding. Huh. It's it's not that contrived. We don't need, we don't need any more of that. <laughs> no, we don't. Um, no, I would... Um, well, I, I would actually give anything to work with Grant Morrison, who... Um, I, I, I'm a huge fan of his, and we were supposed to work on something together, but... I'm waiting for him to open up his schedule, so... But if I was going to choose somebody, it would probably have to be a Japanese artist or, or writer and creator. Probably I'd love to work with Clamp, because I think they have this crazy convoluted sense of storytelling that is so emotional that they just have a way of having people connect to those characters in a way that, I mean, I've never, it's just unique. So I'd give anything to work with them on an anime. Um, let me ask you this. I'm a big music guy. Okay. Who inspires you musically? Who oh. do, you, do you listen to anyone when you create? You know, I, I actually listen to audiobooks when I create. Interesting. Um, there's just something so interesting about listening to a story while I'm creating my own story. Uh, but I do love music. I love I love Gautier um, and Massive Attack. Nice. Um, I love Florence and the Machine. And I really love Adele. And... Most, yeah, I'm not really into, like, the top ten uh, Good. Hits. Yeah, no, I just, I'm just not. I, you know, there's this song, it's called, like, Blow My Whistle, and I want to hide under a rock every time that song comes on, because it's just so wrong. How about Bjork? Oh, yeah, Bjork is, she's great. I mean, she's a classic, because she's back, back from when I was, like, a teen. So, yeah, I love Bjork. And, um, who else? Oh, man, there's just so many. <laughs> Um, so this whole weekend, what are you looking forward to the most? Oh, I'm just meeting my fans. Um, I never. This is my only East Coast show, so I'm just really excited to be here um, for them. And to uh, like, actually, the thing I'm most excited for <laughs> is my my gallery show uh, tomorrow night at the Cotton Candy Machine in Brooklyn. It's my first gallery show in, since I took my painting hiatus um, about a year uh, and a half ago. And I've, I'm just bringing something different to this show this time. I'm really expressing a different part of my creativity. So that's, it's, it's pretty nervous. I'm nervous, you know? It's like, um, I know people have seen the work and they really love it, but it's my first show in a while and I'm, I'm really excited to see how people respond to the new work. Well, I think it's fantastic. And if I'm in the area tomorrow, I hope to be there. Yeah, I hope you do too. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much yep. for talking with us, and I wish you all the luck, and your thank art you. is lovely. Well, thank you. And um, I guess enjoy your weekend. Have a great time. Thanks. You too. All right. The next interview is an interview I actually did with David Lloyd, who is one of the co-creators of V for Vendetta. He actually designed that, that famous mask. And you know, we're doing the interview kind of in process here. He kind of started talking. 
just going and he, he was great uh right now he's talking about the cohabitation of what comic-con has become it started to become so much more movie focused and not necessarily all about comic books but he's trying to talk about how he hopes that those things bleed into each other um so without further ado let's talk to david lloyd um, well hopefully yeah. in the next couple of days you know when uh more people get here, you know. I think there's less people here today than they're going to be here Friday and Saturday. So hopefully, in, the, in those days, you'll, this thing will fill up. Well, you know, I hope so. But as I say, I, I like being in a situation where um, where we are getting cross fertilization. Because I think yeah. I think cross fertilization. You know, a lot of people said to me um, in the past about, oh, you know, it's not like it was in the old days. You know, when it was all comics and stuff. And I, you know, and the only argument for 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 supporting you know, the, well, what has turned out to be an invasion of TV and, and movies <laughs> to, to comics right, yeah, yeah. is that, that it's healthy because it's, you get cross-fertilization. But if you don't get cross-fertilization um, because we're separated, then it's not so good. So I'd be very interested to see what happens here. Yeah. Um, so uh, you're here uh, talking about Aces Weekly, right? Yeah, Why don't you right. tell our listeners and our readers... Uh, what is Aces Weekly? Aces Weekly is just like um, any regular weekly comic art magazine, uh, although there aren't many weekly comic art <laughs> magazines around. Uh, the difference being that we are not in print. We are digital. Okay. We are exclusively digital online for iPad, tablet, laptop, PC. Um and there's a reason for that. I mean, for a couple of years, I'd always wanted to get together a bunch of folks to, to put an anthology collection mm -hmm. together online. And uh, my initial thought, really, was to just use a regular platform. There are various platforms that host uh, such things. Yeah. Um, but uh, in a discussion with my um, collaborator on this project, uh, Bamboss Georgiou, who used to be an editor at Marvel... Mm -hmm. Um, last autumn when we actually began this um, he really said to me well it would be better if we had our own identity you know if we were our, you know just not on another platform and I you know I was supposed to agree with him I thought it would be better so everything that we've done from, from that point was towards making our own identity I mean I've, uh, I've got a trademark I've registered our brand in the UK and in Europe um, so that we have a sort of solid uh, existence, identity now. But the, the idea behind uh, ACES was really for a collective of guys to get together, and girls, of course, uh, to get together, produce great work, and split the profits. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, now, that doesn't happen in print publishing right. because all the money... Uh, in print publishing, it gets eaten up by the printer, the publisher, the retailer, the wholesaler, the distributor, and uh, really the creators always end up with with less than they should have. And we're the guys that actually, you know, give them stuff that actually they can sell. Yeah. Um, so the idea of just going directly from the creator to the to the buyer was great for me and I, I thought you know what is why what's this this whole thing is based on mm -hmm. and luckily I've been in the business for a long time I've known some really great I know some really great guys mm -hmm. and girls and they respect me and they trust me and I came to them with this concept um, and I, they all were very happy to do that because you know in, in regular publishing 
Nobody comes to you and says, well, you can do whatever you like. And that's, <laughs> but that's what I offered them. I said, look, what we want, uh, we're doing sort of like a weekly, it's going to be like serial stories. Every week there'll be episodes. Mm-hmm. So every week there's going to be like six um, episodes, six, uh, six stories with three-page episodes. Oh, yeah. So I want to get back to the old, that old atmosphere of like, oh, you've got to wait a week, what's next week's episode? <laughs> right. You know, like TV. Yeah. Um, so I said, well, that's what we want. Um, so it runs for seven weeks. A volume runs for seven weeks. Right. So a whole, so a story runs for seven weeks, and that makes a volume. And I said, so we've got 21 pages, and you can do whatever you like. And because most of these people knew me, trusted me, and were professionals, we got some great stories. You know, we didn't get indulgences. We got great adventures, great sort of like uh, romances, various all sorts of various things not theme specific or sex specific like they used to be in the old days right. <laughs> but just great comics yeah. great comic storytelling yeah. um, I don't know how to describe it exactly in terms of like current entertainment but it's it's like I don't know it's like getting into a, a, a bowl of great sort of like stories of various kinds <laughs> and you're attracted to them they, they draw you in and every week there's a kind of little cliffhanger. And, uh, and uh, people were really responsive. Um, and uh, we've got a fantastic selection of stories out of that. And uh, we launched in September, uh, September 30th. Um, and we're gradually building up an audience. And, uh, you know, I, I want as many people to hear about it as possible. And subscribe because that's what happens is that basically we, we, we split the money from subscriptions. Um, and I hope that everybody that hears about it will understand that as a collective, you know, we're a bunch of folks working together, producing the best possible art we can for people, and that they'll respond to that and that they'll, uh, they'll support us. Um, uh, and uh, so I'm very happy to to be involved with this. What do you think of the whole, um, this kind of digital comics uh, revolution that's sort of happening right now? Comixology is doing it. Um, obviously, you guys are doing it. Uh, do you see this as a positive future for the comics industry? Yes, it absolutely has to be, because uh, if, if, as uh, a lot of people maintain, you know, there is a, you know, paper has a short life, um, then this will be the answer. But uh, we, we, we have, are kind of different from a lot of things that are done in, in digital um, uh, comics these days. We, we, are, we don't get involved in tricksy stuff. We don't do tricksy stuff at all. We, we're not interested in motion comics. I mean, for me personally, although you know, I don't speak for all my contributors, for me personally, motion comics are like horrible. And, uh, you know, forget it. Um, what we do is we put great comic art on screen it's not on page it's on screen and it retains its integrity on screen you know we don't have trouble with bad printing or bad registration you know it gets it, it gets great you can zoom in and you can see the detail uh, we have extras in in each uh, issue too so you know you're getting each issue has about 18 to 30 pages of, of, of art story and extras which over seven weeks makes about 210 pages. <laughs> and we're charging $9.99 for that, for seven weeks. 
Seven weeks and ten dollars. Oh, wow! Absolutely, and and it's been costed out. If we get a reasonable amount of of people, everybody's happy. But we got to get those people who yeah. you know who, who recognise we're giving them a good deal, and you know, and these are high value creators. You know, there's uh, Carl Baker, Bill Sankavit, Steve Bissett, Herb Trimp. Herb Trimp is doing something. Who's <laughs> doing something? He's he's had the most pleasure from for years. Uh, you know, you. Well, I hope you maybe get a chance to talk to him. Yeah. But he's like, he's just enjoying himself talking about doing the story about airplanes. You know, he loves airplanes. You know, we said to her, you know, do 21 pages you like. And he's just having a lot of fun. <laughs> and, you know, uh, when, when an artist is given freedom to do what they want, you get some beautiful stuff. Yeah. Um, a lot of artists in this business, I know, I've been in the business for a long time. Um, and I have, uh, you know, they, they have to do what sells. But that that's, isn't always the most pleasurable thing. Um, um, but, you know, these guys can tell stories. <clears throat> and, you know, ask them to do something that they really want to do, and they will tell you a good story. <laughs> and, um, and I'm very happy to be working with these folks, you know. So, uh, just a little, you know, fluff questions. Uh, who are some of your favorite artists? My favorite artist? Your favorite artist, yeah. My favorite artist of all time? Yeah. Is that what you're asking? Yeah. Oh, all right. Now, that's a, that's a list. Some of them are your, your, your listeners will know. <laughs> Some of them they won't. Uh, there are two guys in England. Um, one is a guy called Ronald Ambleton, who did the most influential comic strip that I have, you know, on my entire existence. It was something called Wrath of the Gods, which was about Greek mythology. But it was, uh, I saw it when I was 12 years old, and it made that effect on me. Shortly afterwards, uh, Steve Ditko, who was the original great creator of Spider-Man, doing really fantastic atmospheric work uh, before that on Amazing Fantasy. A British guy called John M. Burns, who is still doing fantastic stuff in England. Um, uh, Alex Tarles was a great influence on me. Gene Carlin, the great Gene Carlin, who died last year, sadly. Um who I was trying to make tribute well, uh, of to in, um, in the work that I've done uh, for Aces Weekly in Valley of Shadows, which is uh, about a future LA. But I, I'm doing it in grey washes. Um, Gene Carlin was fantastic at that, and I, I was trying to do something like that in my own, <laughs> you know, inferior means. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, so Gene Carlin and, uh, man, Gray Morrow, Alex Toth, uh, Johnny Craig, Al Williamson, I'm massively influenced by American artists. So, um, thank you so much for talking with us, David. That was, that was great. Um, I do want to ask you, uh, uh, obviously, Viva Vendetta is the thing you're probably most known for out there, um, and I don't want to spend too much time on it, but I wanted to ask you, uh, have you seen, did you see the movie that they made of it, and what did you think of it? Uh, I did see the movie. I, I mean, I saw it at the preview. I was very supportive of it. Um, uh, I did all the all the press for the movie. Uh, yeah, I think it was a, it's a great piece of cinema. I always describe it as another version of V, um, because something that that you know is to part so much from the original has to be described as that. But the fantastic thing about that movie was it was produced by. Uh, writer and producer team who were real fans of the original Larry and Andy Wachowski were real fans of the original 
and and they maintained that central core of uh, of the original, which was the absolutely essential value of hanging on to your individuality at all costs, and not by forced and not be forced by fear into conformism, because that's where society goes up the creek. If you maintain your individual thoughts and do not go with the herd, that's salvation. And that, that message was in V and has been spread around the world in a, in a greater way than could ever have been achieved through uh, the graphic novel alone. So, you know, uh, I really supported the movie at the time. I still support the movie and, uh, and, and I think it's done a lot of great good for, uh, for V. And what's it like to have helped create something that's lasted all of these years i mean does it get so sometimes you feel like i just don't you don't want to talk about it anymore you want to keep you want to move on is it a, is it an honor is it a pleasure is it kind of a mix of those things no no it's absolutely an honor i mean you know i've i you know it's it's a foundation of my career in a sense in a real sense um i'm i'm very happy to draw the image of the for all time and uh, I have no problems whatsoever with it. Um, uh, I love the fact that it's influenced so many people, that it's, uh, it's been responsible for so many, um, so many good things. And also, of course, that it's become, that mask has become a, an all-purpose symbol of uh, resistance to oppression. I mean, you can't, you can't really, uh, you can't argue with that. And I'm, I'm very happy to have been associated with it, and I will be, uh, until, I, until I drop off the twig. <laughs> Um, and one last thing, I'm a huge uh, Doctor Who fan, and I know back in the back when way back in the day you drew uh, some Doctor Who. Uh, are you a fan of Doctor Who? And what was it like to get to tackle? I mean, obviously, it was a different beast at that time. But oh, tell me about that. Uh, well, I, I I stopped watching Doctor Who when I was I don't know I think after the John John Pertwee era <laughs> um, because I was just uh, involved with other things. Um, but the quality of the scripts have always been great. You know, it, it, um, and uh, and I am very, I'm a great admirer of what's happening now. I mean, I must say, out of the new reincarnations of, of Doctor Who, I still, I think Christopher Eccleston's was the best, uh, only because it was harder. Um, I think it's become too light-hearted, uh, too light-hearted in the sense that you know the light-heartedness uh, unbalances the dramatic value of, of it. So, and I think it's a problematic. Uh, in any in any entertainment, but I'm I'm very very happy that it's uh, that it's been so successful, and I certainly enjoyed doing all the the strip work that I did uh, for Marvel. Um, although I didn't actually draw Doctor Who, you know, as you probably know, I, I oh yeah, I, I did all the backup stories. I, I yeah yeah, I, I was doing all the backup stories of you know little little stories about the ice war uh, ice 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 warriors. And the Cybermen and stuff oh, like that. Okay. But they were very well written. Um, uh, Alan, Alan Moore wrote a couple of them. Um, and uh, Steve Moore, who's another great writer, who actually taught Alan how to write comics. Wow. <laughs> you, you, may not, you may not know that, but that's the truth. Steve Moore was one of the finest professional writers in uh, comics writers in England, who I worked with for, uh, many times uh, on the Doctor Who stories. And he taught Alan how to, how to write. So you have to thank Steve for, for what you have now, with with Alan. Um, but no, I had a I had a great time doing those stories, um, and uh, and I'm I'm very you know it's good as an Englishman to see see how good uh, Doctor Who's doing in America too. 
So um, tell us one more time, Aces Weekly, where can we find it? How much does it cost? Let us know everything. Okay, you can find it at uh, www.acesweekly.co.uk. Go there, this website, it's all, it's all easy to read there. You subscribe, seven weekly issues, totaling perhaps 210 pages, will just cost you $9.99. And uh, please just continue your subscription. You can cancel at any time. But listen, we're giving you the best that we possibly can, you know, some of the best talent in the business. And we need your support for this revolutionary concept. So please. Thank you so much for talking to us, David. It's a pleasure to meet you. Well, you too, man. Thank All right. You very much. All right. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Steve, you're making me laugh. Steve Say from uh, Talking Comics, obviously, and things are falling all over the place. Uh, we're on the showroom floor, and we're hanging out with David Marquez, who is the artist of Ultimate Spider-Man. So, how are you? I'm doing well. Doing well. Yeah. Are you enjoying the con? Did you just get here? Um, I've been here since yesterday. I flew in from Austin. I'm operating on minimal sleep like a lot of us are. But it's been a great show so far. It's packed, like almost San Diego Comic-Con levels. Uh, this show's getting bigger every year and having a blast so far. That's awesome, man. Um, so, what could you tell me? Like, what was, how, how was, what was it like for you when you got the word that you were actually going to be drawing Spider-Man? Did you freak out? Uh, I freaked out a little bit, yeah. I uh, was just sitting at my computer check my email like, like you do you know every day's drawing is most of it but you just gotta do email and talk to your editors and everything and I'd gotten an email asking if I wanted to do uh, an arc of Ultimate Comics Spider-Man I started just dancing in my chair um, I had gotten back into reading monthly comics last year when they relaunched with Miles Morales as the new Spider-Man and I loved the book and I couldn't believe they actually wanted me to draw it but it was a great opportunity and there's no way I would pass up an, op- an opportunity to draw one of my favorite characters by one of my favorite writers for my favorite company that's awesome um, what do you think of the Miles character? Uh, I think he's great. I think it's important that, um, well, to backtrack a teensy bit, comics are, are not as diverse as they should be in terms of the characters they portray, especially superhero comics. And especially considering the diversity of the fan base, I think it's important that we acknowledge that there's a whole lot more to the world than we typically show in superhero comics. And so Miles, I think, is a very proactive step in, I mean, not in, like, rectifying, but in making the comics better reflect the world that actually exists out there. And that's what makes comics, especially from Marvel, so, I think, so resident, is that we look at that's near, uh, New York, it feels like the New York in real life. Um, the characters have flaws like characters in real life. And now, also, kids who for years and years and years have been looking at Spider-Man now a lot of those are seeing a spider looks a lot more like that and I think that's a great thing that's awesome um, are there any characters like if you could bring a character into the series your choice doesn't have to be happening but if you could bring anyone into into the world of, of Miles Morales who would you choose it's not easy is it that's a tough one uh, well it's kind of a cop out because they actually just did it but they just had Miles meet Peter Parker from the 616 universe and that, I think that's a, a really really cool move I think actually if there was some kind of way to have Miles meet Uncle Ben that'd be, that'd be fascinating that would be awesome yeah. that would be very cool 
So, all right, so tell me a little bit about what you're doing here. You have uh, your book, Syndrome, and then you've got another project. Uh, what is this, uh, Joiners in 3D? Yes. So um, I first broke into comics two years ago with Arkea, and uh, that, was, that was with the book Syndrome. And I've reteamed with the writer from Syndrome, or one of the writers, R.J. Ryan, to do a new book all in 3D called The Joiners in 3D. And this is a story about the family of the future falling apart. So the Joiners is a play on the Jetsons, and actually, and oh, the wow. art itself we're kind of riffing on that kind of 1960s idealist aesthetic. Um, and the story of this industrialist of the future, George Joyner, who on the verge of him announcing a new technology that will change and revolutionize the way the world interacts with each other, um, succumbs to temptation in various ways that the story you know, will explain, and his life kind of unravels. And so it's a, it's a mature, um, you know, moody, kind of depressing family drama <laughs> setting as the backstage of, of an idealistic future. And uh, it's being, all being done in black and white in a style a little more cartoony and graphic than my normal mainstream work. And um, it's all in 3D, anaglyph, red, blue, you know, old school, 1950s 3D. And I'm doing all the 3D conversion myself. That's awesome. That's really cool. Uh, what else at the con are you looking forward to? Are you here to see anybody? Um, mostly, I'm just at an artist alley. I'm signing. I'm doing the sketches. I'm just trying to, you know, meet meet the fans, meet the other guys who work in the industry. Uh, we spend so much time on our own in our little man caves drawing that it's nice to get out every once in a while and see what the rest of the world looks like. Nice. Uh, and one more question: If you could work with any writer to create a, like a creator-owned book of your own, what, who would you choose? I'm already there, man. RJ and I have uh, we've become like best friends ever since working together on Syndrome. And there's not another person I would love to work with more than him on Twitter's. Excellent. Excellent. All right, man. Well, we'll wrap it up. And thank you so very much for uh, talking with us. I will give you the information. And uh, this will be... Why am I telling you this now? <laughs> Obviously, you can tell that Bobby handles most of these things, not me. I'm done. There's more later. Bye. All right. Welcome back to Talking Comics. Uh, I'm here with Kang Lee, uh, developer, founder, right? Uh, Hawkins, your big project coming out. Uh, why don't you tell the folks at home exactly who you are, what you do, and what Hawken is. Okay, so um, my role is the creative director of the project at Adhesive Games. And um, basically my day-to-day task is just making sure the whole production just, you know, looking good, you know, it plays well. It's kind of general. Um, originally when we were just four guys, we all wearing different hats, you know, do whatever it takes to get things done. But now we're a team of 25, so, uh, you know, it's a bit more manager role, but I still get to do, you know, sometimes getting there making levels, making concept art, things like that, things I really enjoy. Hey, now, what was the process like going from a four-man team um, to the 25-man team you have now, and now you're sitting here at Comic-Con with, you know, hundreds of thousands of people walking through here, looking at your product. Uh, t- take us on that journey. Um, so, it's, you know, it's very unexpected. We started out just one of making, we just want to make a, a mech game because we haven't seen a mech game in a long time. Like, there's, we grew up playing Mech Warriors. In the arcade, some of my favorite games are the Virtual On games. You know, I also really like playing, you know, just the Armor Core series, things like that. So uh, it's sort of like a passion project. At the same time, it makes logistical sense to us as well. We had, like, one animator, so we right. weren't going to do any sort of human, right, yeah, you yeah. know, because the facial animation, there's no way, man. It's like one, there's one animator. We got one programmer, myself as a concept artist, 3D artist, and another designer, 3D artist, and that's how it got started. So uh, just looking at it, you know, make, sci-fi also makes sense because uh, environment is a thing that usually takes the longest to do. And for sci-fi, we can really like 
reuse asset, um, duplicate things, you know, many times. You can't duplicate a broken column for time, it looks weird. Right, yeah. but you can definitely du duplicate some weird techie pieces many, yeah, many times. absolutely. So I think all those uh, sort of uh, logistical reason and our, our passion for mech games sort of come together and then Hawking just makes sense. Like my background is a concept artist for films and video games. I, uh, prior to this, I worked on uh, Robopocalypse for Steven Spielberg. Oh, all right, So, wow. um, like, I always loved doing mechs and designing mechs and things like that, so it just all came together. And we uh, just got the Unreal Engine, UDK came out, was for free when we first started. UDK was available for public, just download it. And we downloaded it, we tried it out. Within two weeks, we actually got like a gameplay going already. You know, because um, Unreal Engine has the uh, Unreal, uh, the Unreal Tournament code in there. So multiplayer code is all already in there. We just gotta like mod it, adding the jetpacks, you know, the mech movement, the left hand, right hand weapon, things like that. And within two, three weeks, we were playing these white boxes, you know, just testing things out. And it seems pretty fun, so we just kept rolling. Uh, nine months later, we had a uh, team size of six people and three interns. And basically, we just kind of released a video overnight, not expecting much. Mm -hmm. uh, emailed to a couple of small indie sites. And we woke up the next day, we got like 300,000 views, and we were completely shocked, wow. you know? And then, that wasn't a gameplay video, it was more of like a in-game cinematic video. Mm -hmm. We basically just record us playing and then from a third-person camera view make it look all cinematic. Right. But our second video was just pure raw gameplay, you know, just straight up no bullshit gameplay. And that got uh, almost, I think, a million views overnight. Wow. It went to the top of Reddit wow. without any sort of marketing campaign. It was just us just playing on YouTube. So it was really awesome. And eventually, th within three days, I think 80% of the publishers out there contacted us, EA, Activision. Wow. Konami, like Square Enix, people flew in from Japan. It was it was just crazy. Yeah. And it was like that point on, we just, you know, going through making the game and making a business decision for what's happening next. And then eventually a guy named Mitch Lasky approached us, which who we didn't know at the time, who he was, so we kinda like disregard his emails and stuff <laughs> like that. But eventually we found out he's basically the biggest investor in video game industry. He's the guy that invested in Riot. Oh wow. Yeah, so oh, wow. original investment and you know he's he's crazy. He he was kinda sold jammed that for like 700 million. Yeah. So it's it's crazy. We yeah. yeah, I didn't Google him till we went to the board meeting one day. <laughs> and I was like, oh holy shit. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we he came to us and you know we were gonna do a downloadable console game, very small. And he said to go figure play right away. We always want to go figure play eventually, kind of mm -hmm. like Team Fortress. Yeah, know? yeah, of course. Just keep going to the sales die, die down and go figure play. Mm -hmm. But he said, you got to go. He said, you should go figure play now because uh, it's like making two games. Mm -hmm. You're going to make one game and you got to restart making another game. You're going to be way behind the curve, you know? Right. And he's right because by now you can hear figure play game coming out like every month. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if, yeah. if we haven't started by now, we're probably way, yeah. be way behind. <laughs> and so I think it was a great idea. And yeah, he, you know, writes a big check. Mm -hmm. um, we now have a publishing side in um, uh, Seattle with almost 40 people now, and we're 25 people of uh, developers in Pasadena, uh, California. So, yep, that's where we're at. That's insane. Um, so, yeah, you, you mentioned you guys are coming out free to play. Um, you know, and I, I think it's interesting because the stigma of free to play has kind of started to dissipate very rapidly recently. Um, you said you guys wanted to go free to play eventually. Would you guys at all worried about that people thinking it was if you went free to play right away it was going to seem like you guys were not a top of the line product? Mm -hmm. Well, we didn't really see the rush for it for for from our end. We're like, you know what, let's just put it out there, just get it out there, you know, because yeah. we were going free to play. If we had gone downloadable console, we would have been out maybe a year ago. Mm -hmm. We were the game was very near completion. Right. But free to play, you have to add a lot. You know, the network backends. You got to add a lot of more content so people can buy. People mm -hmm. can. Can, can um, you know play for, so it definitely changed our direction. But 
I think it's, it, it was a great idea. I, I know we, we definitely don't want the game to be a pay-to-win. We really follow the model of games that does it well, like League of Legends, mm -hmm. like Team Fortress. Right. So making sure, you know, like the, both the non-paying user and the paying user have a good time. So. Right. So it's really free to play. It's not, you know, you get in there and, yeah. you know, you, you have a... There's no time limits. I don't know you can play each session, right? You know, I mean, if you got in there and you didn't pay a cent, not that people shouldn't pay any money, but could you have a full great experience with the game? Uh, definitely, because our mechs are all balanced against each other. So you think our mechs as, as uh, legends from League of Legends, they're all very balanced. So even if you only have your first start-out mech, you can still play against someone that has 10 mechs because they're all balanced to each other. But the only thing is, if you have 10 mechs, you have more variety of ways of playing it. You know, like you have a richer experience right, yeah. if, you, if you pay for it or if you, know, if you put a lot of time into it as well. Everything that you can buy, you can earn through playing. Of course, you know, it's going to take time. Like, if you're, if you're, like, a teenager, you have a lot of time, you play for it. If you're some busy guy, you know, working all day, you got, like, 30 minutes a day to play, then you just pay for it, you know. I think it's kind of like valley parking. I think it's, it makes sense that way. It's like, that's, that's a really good uh, comparison. Um, I, I, I've noticed also, I've, I watched a couple, like, kind of beautiful uh, uh, moment, there were live-action uh, trailers, right? Um, what was the genesis of those coming about? Uh, the, so beside the game itself, once we had the marketing money, to actually expand the game beyond just the game because, you know, we just want to make a, a game. So we didn't really even plan for a story. We had a story in mind, but we like, you know what? It's player shooting player in Roblox, man. Why even need a story? But like, once we had the budget, we had a marketing team, we're like, let's, let's, um, the CEO of the, the publishing side, uh, media, Mark Long, he, he's a big, uh, he's really big on transmedia. He really wants to push the idea of, you know, making other medium to support each other, like comics, you know, uh, webisode, live action, anime, whatever, toys, everything sort of, each have its own part in this world and they explain each other more. And that's, what, that's why we're here in Comic-Con because we're actually having a graphic novel coming out, 120 pages, like beautiful color, I've seen the pages, this is amazing. Our panel looks like other people covers, you know? It looks awesome, like, we got a lot of people signed up. I think they're pretty passionate about just the sort of feeling of the game itself. And uh, we're very loose. I think that's why they like to work with it because the world is just barely developing. We wrote... By now, we got 250 pages Bible of what the Hawking is about, you know, down to what people eat, like the oxygen level on this new planet. Like, it's, every, it's very detailed now. So everything is very consistent. And, it's, yeah, it's really fun. We're just here to promote all this other side of uh, Hawking. Yeah, so your relationship is Archaea, right? Um, and you obviously said it looks great, so we're really excited about that. Now, the game itself... Um, it's just multiplayer and no single player. I just want everybody out there to know what we're. Yeah, it's, it's a multiplayer game only. Like, like as I mentioned, we started such a small team. Yeah. Like most, a single player would be impossible. You know, like campaign, AI scripting, yeah, yeah. cinematics, mm -hmm. all that storytelling. Yeah, it's impossible for a four-man team. So we stick with multiplayer. And it's, uh, you know, free to play is only multiplayer. I haven't really seen any free to play single player yet. Yeah, no, 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 not, yeah, not at all. Yeah. Um, so how's your experience been at the con so far? It's awesome. I mean, it's crazy. It's just, uh, I usually go to San Diego Comic-Con. Mm -hmm. It's my first time in New York Comic-Con, and it's, you know, I think it's just as big, and it's just as crazy, hustling, bustle, weird people in costume, you know, I love it. Just seeing all this stuff. <laughs> and all the fans approaching, playing the game, and some people already playing the alphas that we had. You know, they just came up to me. They're just really thankful for the game that we're making. We're super thankful for having them playing it. And it's really great to hear the feedback directly, you know, what, what bothers them, what they like, what they don't like. And then I come back, and, you know, to the team, and just really tell people. You know what, what to fix. That's really nice about free to play. It's the iteration between the developer and the fans and the, the players are very direct. All right. So why don't you tell the people um, at home uh, when the game's coming out, how they can get into the beta, all that good information. Okay. So now uh, you can basically just go onto playhawking.com and and there's an enlist button. Just sign up on there. Close beta is coming out 
October 26th through 29th. And then, um, yeah, basically the, the game launching December 12th, open beta is December 12th. Great, great. Thank you, Kang Lee. Thank you so much for joining us. All right, and uh, can't wait to play the game. All right, uh, Steve Say, Talking Comics, obviously. You guys listen to the show, you know who the hell I am. Uh, I'm a little nervous because I'm sitting here with Matthew Petz and uh, we're just talking about how he grew up where we record. So uh, it's pretty awesome. He's got a lot of great art and he's in the process of sketching something for me right now and we're just going to casually talk about a couple things and I don't know, you can listen in if you choose. <laughs> hello, am, everybody. Yes, hello. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm so late. Anyway. No, that's fine. So the last time that we talked to you, were making the plans for book two for uh, War of the Woods. Yes. So what's like, what's the latest with that? Well, the second book is done. Like I drew it and well, it's not totally done yet. It's almost done. I have about uh, I would say ten pages left to draw. Mm-hmm. So there's like ten more pages to draw and then after that I'll probably take a month to color it. It's another first season turned out to be 85 pages. This is another 85-page graphic novel. So it'll be same exact size. So I'll take about a month to do the coloring and then another like half month, probably a month and a half to color and letter the whole book. And then once we're done with that, we'll start up on Comixology. And I'm also now at the same time I'm doing, I'm going to be doing uh, iBooks. So so you'll be able to like, like I actually have an iBook of the first book that's um, just about done as well. Like, I've, I've scanned everything in. Well, I mean, I have the scans already. So I have that. And then I also, I'm recording some, like, how-to videos. Like, just, because iBooks, you can do so much more. You can add video and, and uh, lots of, you know, it's infinite. You can add as many pages. Like so the iBooks... and stuff? Yeah, yeah. So the iBooks version will be the 22-page book. There'll be like a 20... And, and I'm sorry, the 85-page book. And then there's a 22-page, like, supplemental material of sketches, layouts, wow. unused things. And then in that section, I re- I'm going to record about, like, 10 sort of commentaries. So, like, here's me talking about how I designed the Jersey Devil. And here's me talking about why this panel didn't work out and how I'm going to use it in the second season or something like that. Okay. Then there's also going to be a tutorial on how to draw the main character. So it's just little sort of extra fun stuff to sort of awesome. you know, it's get like people... Yeah, yeah, basically it's like a Blu-ray. It's like, you know, nice. you get your thing and it's sort of the the Blu-ray version of the, of the first season. And um, there's also a preview of the second season on there as well to sort of, you know, cross-promote everything. So yeah, the second season's drawn except for 10 pages and then I just have to, you know, finish it up. And then with Comixology and Apple, there's sort of like, you know, you want to have everything done because with Apple, there's an approval process. And it's not like we want to make sure that it's not like obscene or anything. It's just literally an approval process. So there's probably about a, a month delay at least once you hand in your files. And I think this year we're going to do, or I'm going to do, um, uh, four 20-page comics as opposed to like eight 10-page comics. Because I felt like it was, you might get, I feel like it's more substantial to pay 99 cents and get 20, count, 20 pages as opposed to, you know... 10 pages? I don't know. And there was some drop-off from book to book, so I think it might retain people. You know, like, I think it was a little bit of an experiment the first time. I think it'll retain people more if it's all done and you don't have to worry about 
uh, or when's the next one coming out or something like that. Yeah, I remember. I mean, that was one of the things. I think we were first introduced to Comixology when um, that was the first purchase. It and might have, yeah, I think we, in the review it said something like that. Yeah, we were surprised that, like, and not to, you know, not to toot your corn or anything, but the amount of content that you got for the 10 pages was very satisfying. Yeah, I mean, I, it was 10 pages of comic, and then I usually put in, like, four backup pages of sketches and stuff like that, just to sort of make it a little bit more. But the problem I had with the first time around was it was a little, like, again, it was an experiment. I did the work as I was doing it. So it was never always done. This time, all 85 pages will be done. So there's not going to be a gap in between issues, and I have more flexibility how I want to release it. Like, I want to release it, uh, you know, as one graphic novel, I could do that. Or installments, I could do that. So it's sort of... I'm going back and forth with them how best to do it. Um, how long did it take you to, like, to refine your characters and your, your process? Because the idea of using the animals as I guess like an allegory for people right. is just it's extremely creative how long did that like what was the decision I, originally so like the history of the comic was originally this was part of DC Comics Zuda online uh, initiative DC Comics had a website where you could uh, every month they had 10 comics in competition and it was sort of like American Idol style thing and whoever won got a DC contract so two years ago, I won that contest, and it was part of DC's Zuda thing. Then DC imploded, and uh, it uh, it sort of died, and now it's you know uh, a lot of the, uh, the Zuda stuff is still in limbo. Like they can't, people can't uh, do anything with their comics. But I was able to buy out my contract because I hadn't technically started so anyway that's a long way to say it was part of a competition and so originally the competition was going to be a um a just a father and son trying to survive an alien invasion and that very quickly once i told it to my girlfriend and some other people they were like yeah that's been done like a million times before and i was like you're absolutely right so then i'm like i was talking to my girlfriend i'm like well how will i get you to like this comic book because I don't want to make a comic book that's just for you know you know the masses you know, that already buy comics I want everyone to read it so I'm refining the book and I'm refining it and finally I'm like well you like otters you're obsessed with otters <laughs> and I'm like what if I just made the father and son animals our Stephanie um, the girl that's on our our show she's mm -hmm. obsessed yeah I mean otters are like this cute quirky sort of playful thing and I'm like if I do animals like that might that could work like that could be different that could be something that is like you know, not, you haven't seen often. And so as soon as I started doing that, it all sort of clicked together. Like it was definitely like, it started to feel like a, a more substantial, unique comic book. And the more I refined it, the more I was like, oh, this is, this is cool. This is different. I can start talking about, you know, the environment. I can talk about uh, class systems and stuff like that. And I can use these cute animals and it's just also a bunch of characters you don't see. You don't see turtles and otters and raccoons and badgers trying to be, uh, you know, uh, the main characters in the comic or something like that. So, yeah, it started out as humans, but then my girlfriend and everyone was like, that's been done a million times. Why are you doing that? That's boring. And uh, so then I, once I re 
you know, started refining it. And this is all for the competition because you're trying to win it. Right. So I wanted to come up with something unique. And luckily, you know, I think I did. And that's, I think, what helped win the competition was that it was not your typical comic. You know, it didn't have your typical characters in it. I can't believe this drawing is only taking you. Well, like, also, like, minutes. you should put it on the blog or something. I'm like, going when you to do it because it's like I've done enough of these shows now where it's like I kind of have a shorthand as I know where I'm going with it. And like when you draw these characters all the time, like I, that's why kind of why in the iBooks I wanted to do a tutorial because it's actually kind of easy like to draw an otter with a turtle on his head. It's kind of like a hamburger with a couple shapes. <laughs> that's sort of how it how it goes. That's fantastic. So, do you have any anything else lined up besides book two, or are you going to take a break, or what, like what do you I'm going to do book two, and I have there's a couple other like non War of the Woods projects that I'm working on. One, I'm working on. Uh, he's not here right now. Uh, my friend uh, Ron. We're sort of writing it together. I'm going to lay it out in pencils. He's going to ink it, and we don't know what we're going to do with it. It pro- might be like a straight-up web web comic book, mm-hmm. um, but we're definitely going to play with the concept of digital, and that's like a 300, no, not 360, was a 180 degree of this. It's like sort of Game of Thrones, violent, you know, you know uh, killer sort of... Uh, basically, with that, it's called Lordless, and like uh, what we wanted to do was we were thinking about a comic and I'm like let's make a comic about a guy who might be in a movie like basically Boba Fett like the character that you're like oh that guy's awesome they should make a movie about him and we basically invented our own character so it's like you know this is the guy who if you watch the movie you would go I want to see more about him and so it's sort of this origin story of like the ultimate badass sort of character so we're working on that and then have another couple projects that I'm trying to pitch right now to a couple companies, but they're sort of, you know, nowhere. Like, they're just in the development phase. So it'll be War of the Woods. It'll be, you know, I'm writing uh, book three now. So the whole thing will be like, uh, it'll probably end up being five books, five 85 page Yeah, it'll be five 85 page books that uh, tell like one story. And then, I had mentioned earlier, like, I'm always on the edge of, like, doing a Kickstarter. So that I might end up doing a Kickstarter simply to uh, help defray the cost, but also raise some funds. Because I have... The, the world is, like, really big in the comic, and I'm focusing on America and the main character here. But I have a, a, a fellow artist I'm friends with, and I want her to sort of... Uh, do a like a like tales of War of the Woods I would guess you would call it so you would sort of see like what's happening in Japan or what's happening in Europe like while this global alien invasion is happening that's a great idea yeah so that's one of the things on Kickstarter I'll have to pick that up in a second my phone's coming out that I would want to you know sort of uh, uh, help produce because it would be a uh, you know it wouldn't take over this, but it would be it would sort of fill out the story. Yeah. Because there are characters in here, like in the first book, there's a uh, a bird from England that comes over, and I have a whole plan of like what's happening in England and like what cities have been destroyed, 
and I'd like to sort of like go into more detail with that. So I have this like sort of this plan to do a little bit, you know, backups of uh, of that stuff. So you know, there's a lot of stuff that I would like to do. Um, but yeah, I'm just writing this the third book now that the second one's done, and that'll sort of be the third season will be a like I'm. It's almost gonna be like if it's 85 pages, it'll be like 40 of half the book is a battle like that's like like my I'm really excited to like really like have a lot of time to like just you know spend on this giant battle that's about yeah. to happen in the second season so it's a little bit of spoilers but uh, yeah it's just it's a lot of War of Woods a lot of shows um, a lot of promotion and uh, you know I was talking to publishers seeing if anyone's interested I've had a couple nibbles but it's a weird time for creator you know uh, creator own books and stuff so there's the drawing that's fantastic when you see it I guess yeah you can time it like the yeah, entire time we talked 12 uh, about 12 minutes yeah 12 yeah that's minutes. about it so then I that's fantastic alright you know what I'm gonna wrap this up sure because I got people waiting behind me and uh, I just want to thank you so very much for oh, talking with us oh thank you thank you very much and uh, we wish you the best and we look uh, forward to everything you got going on awesome thanks right. thank you Alright, we're back on the show floor talking comics here with Jarrett Williams, writer and artist on Super Pro KO. Um, so, how's your comic going so far, Jarrett? It's, the con has been great. Like, I love I love coming to New York. Um, it's a nice little mini vacation for me because I have a bunch of friends who live here. Um, and it's just a great show. Like, a lot of people, I'm, I see the same people from year to year here, and everyone's really supportive. But it looks like everybody's doing their thing in Artist Alley, too, doing really well. I like the setup there this year also. Um, so, yeah, loving it. So, uh, have you got a chance to walk around, you know, to check stuff out? So, what has been coming your favorite stuff you've checked out so far? You know what? It's, it's been a co- combination. I like this little, the Wii U booth right across from the Oni booth right now, only because I wasn't really sold on the Wii U yeah. at all. And I'm like, man, I'm not going to lie. I might have to consider getting it <laughs> um, just for a couple games I scouted over there. Yeah. Um, also, the little TM, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles sewer little area. Yeah, yeah. I kind of, you know, went... <laughs> total kid mode real fast. I took a picture with the turtles and knocked some kids out of line just to get my picture taken and stuff. But I mean, I, I just love that kind of crap. And also going to the alley, man, um, I saw a lot of friends, um, a lot of people, um, a lot of great artists over there too, Domo Stanton and, um, you know, just a couple other people that I just, I, I haven't seen them in a long ass time. So it's just good to catch up. That's great. So um, some of our listeners might not know what Super Pro KO is. Yeah. Why don't you uh, let them know and tell them what it's all about? Awesome. I know it's a, it's a really fun comic. I mean, I love drawing it. I've always been into pro wrestling. Um, and so I just kind of came up with this idea of maybe just coming up with a comic around this fictional pro wrestling world called Super Pro KO. And um, this dude's first day in the company, uh, named Joe Somiano, um, and who thinks he was coming in as sort of a, a rookie wrestler, thinking, you know, he's now in Super Pro KO, and he's going to just go right to the top and become, you know, heavyweight champion, which isn't the case at all. There's, like, all these other players in, in, in between him and the champion. And it's ultimately the story of the champion, this dude named King Crown Jr., who's been the title, for, uh, the title holder for years. And it's to the point now where he's really just taking it for granted, wondering what his next step in life is going to be. And so it's kind of a parallel story between the, the rookie fighting for the gold and then the champion who's looking for competition. Um, and then it's just a bunch of fun characters in between. I mean, I, a lot of my uh, comic influences have been just really all-ages type of comics, like, you know, Uncle Scrooge, Richie Rich, Archie Comics. And so all these over like large-ass pro wrestlers just have, like, these kid-like personalities um, so I just think it makes it really fun and accessible for people. So even people I, I noticed who aren't in a pro wrestling have been picking it up. Um, but also the pro wrestling community has been really awesome um, about it too. Um, a lot of guys over uh, in the Shakara 
um, organization have been really tweeting about it and talking about it. A lot of pro wrestlers have been hitting me up about it. And that really means a lot to me, too, because I'm drawing something, you know, I'm not really, I'm not in the pro wrestling world, I'm in the comic world. Right. But to get that sort of like, that, that nod from, from those guys means the world to me. And I met Booker T today, oh, nice. one of my idols, yeah. you know, <laughs> and it was just so hard not fanboying out with him. Um, but I was like, man, and then, again, only at like a, a con like this where you get comic artists, wrestlers, you know, yeah. you got actors walking around like it's whatever. I mean, this is just a good time. Good vibe. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned your, your all ages influences. So this is an all ages book. Um, it's, it's definitely teen. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of drinking, which kind of, you know, yeah. you know, I, I know there might be some kids out there who drink, but, you know, it's, it's mainly for teens. Yeah. Um, and every now and then I'll have a wrestler kind of fantasize about an, another fee, uh, a chick somewhere. And I'm like, right. you know, so it's definitely, I, I would say to be safe, you know, maybe 11, 12 and up gotcha. just to be safe. But a lot of kids come up just because they've been given it by their parents and they, they've been eating it up. So. And what's the tone of the book? Just so you know. The tone, I mean, it's definitely um, fun, fun. I mean, it kind of has sort of a, a odd adventure vibe to it. Like, um, it's definitely a manga influence there as far as sort of the format, digest size book. Um, definitely not too dark or serious. I mean, I'm really into comics that are all ages and, and, and sort of, you know, when I read a comic, it's to escape from reality. And so I really want when somebody picks up a copy of my book to feel like they're in this whole other fun world, you know? Um, it, it, it's really... Um, a blast for me to work on it and to draw it just because it's really coming from a place of like you know how, how would it be if I were a pro wrestler like I mean and I definitely there are a lot of parallels in it with my I feel like my journey in the comic industry and coming in and just starting off in Artist Alley and putting out mini comics and traveling with my friends to shows kind of parallels what I, what I, what I read and heard wrestlers talk about you know traveling from city to city and just trying to get their name out there and starting off in the indie scene and hopefully getting it brought up eventually some of the bigger companies. So there's some parallels that I've been able to draw from, from comics that have worked really well with this comic too. Um, but again, I think it's accessible. I think it's fun. Um, I know if I'm having fun drawing it, that'll translate to the reader ultimately. So so what are you reading right now other than your book, obviously? You no, know, um, I've been reading a couple things. I've read uh, Luther Strode. Um, I awesome. love Trad more like um, a lot. I love his work, um, his, his style. Um, also, Ed Pisker, I'm kind of a fan of his, right? Of, of, you know, a lot right now. He does that uh, that hip hop web comic, and um, I just finished reading WYSIWYG, which I loved too. Um, so those are probably the most predominant two um, that I've read recently. So, and so before we get out of here, tell us um, how many volumes of Super Pro KO are out there? Are there more coming? Yeah. What, what's going on? There are um, right now. There are two volumes of Super Pro KO out. There's number one, and then there's number two, Chaos in the Cage. Uh, Super Pro KO three, Go for Glory, is coming out next year. Hopefully, like. If not in the late summer, maybe in the fall again. Um, and then I'm working on a Super Pro KO webcomic. Hopefully that will launch after the third book, too. Um, and so people can find it. If you go to superprokeo.com, you can find links to um, the Oni site, Amazon, Seth Barnes & Nobles. Um, most comic book shops have been great about carrying it, too. Um, it's also at Comixology for people who want it, you know, digitally. I, and I love Comixology. I'm a big fan of their format. And their, a lot of my friends work there, too. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's all over. So tell the folks at home where they can get, are you on Twitter? I am, I am. Okay. I am Jarrett Williams on Twitter. That's J-A-R-R-E-T-T, Williams. Um, and then again, superprokeo.com. It's where I kind of keep updates about um, the pages I'm working on. You'll see crazy um, cryptic updates from me at 4 in the morning when I'm hating my life <laughs> and scanning a page in. Um, and also I'm on Instagram, Jarrett Williams on Instagram as well too. So And I also post like random panels that I'm working on there too. Great, Jarrett. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you, of course. Thank you. Yeah.
Hey everybody, how you doing? Uh, Steve, Talking Comics, obviously. I am sitting here with one of my personal, I'm going to gush for a one of my favorite writers in the comics industry, writing for Image, Joe Kelly, uh, author of Four Eyes and I Kill Giants. And uh, we're just hanging out, we're going to ask a couple questions, and uh, let's fire away. So, how did you get your start in comics? Uh, well, first of all, thank you for the kind words, I appreciate it. Um, I was going to NYU for screenwriting. And a couple of editors at Marvel wanted to try to get new talent. So they started a workshop in the dramatic writing department. It was nicknamed the Stanhattan Project. And um, I was a graduate student at the time, and they had sent this letter wanting to start it up. And the secretary of the department thought it was going to wind up in the garbage, so she suggested maybe I should steal it. So I did. And then uh, I stole it and then generously volunteered to run the program. So... um, after about a year working with those guys in training, that's how I got into comics. And then we did it the next year, and Brian K. Vaughn was the next one who came out of it. That's awesome. So, let's see. We uh, Everybody at the website, we've all read I Kill Giants. Everybody, our listeners, we love it. Um, where did the inspiration for that book come from? Um, it was a combination of two things. My dad had... Um, my dad had diabetes, and it was the first time I ever had to deal with sort of the idea of my, you know, parents' mortality. And then my kids were young, and I just started thinking about, you know, well, what would it be like for, you know, a kid to have to deal with these issues? Um, and, uh, and that was really where it came from. I mean, it was, it was literally that. I was sitting in a physical therapy office waiting my dad had lost his leg and he was in there getting you know rehabilitated and uh i I outlined the whole thing in an hour and a half i mean i knew the story like immediately and then then it took a while to write and then it took a while to find an artist and i mean literally a couple of years um uh so it was that very personal thing of being a new father and then you know having my dad be sick kind of created the wow i killed giants that's personal. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's why, I mean, the, the work means so much to me. And then um, I think it's really, what's been amazing is how it's hit people and how people come and talk to me about it. It's, uh, they, I think that personal aspect of it comes through. Yeah. Um, when you were crafting the character of Barbara, like, what was the, what was the attitude or the decision to make her, like, just so, um, like, against the grain and really, really angry uh, at everyone. I mean, she obviously she was hurting on the inside, but like, was that a conscious decision to make her so adverse to like authority and things like that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, originally she was actually going to be nine, and um, but with all the same dialogue. And I ran it by the guys in Man of Action, and they're like, nobody will ever believe a nine-year-old talks like this. Like, you just can't do it that way. And I was glad I got that that kind of advice. So I ended up aging her up. Um, but I wanted her to be an outsider. I wanted her to be somebody who, who felt disconnected because the more isolated she was in real life, the tougher her personal struggle was going to be. Right. That's awesome. I, um, I just... I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm a little flabbergasted. No, that's all right. Um, so what, um, what are you working on currently? Uh, well, Man of Action is doing um, a lot of animation. So where you do... Uh, we're uh, co-executive producers on Ultimate Spider-Man going into the next season. Uh, we are doing, it was just announced yesterday, Marvel's Avengers Assemble. Oh, uh, we're co-EPs and 
writers on that uh, as well. So both of those come out. Uh, Spidey 2 will come out this year, but Avengers is next year. Um, very excited about that work. Uh, we do a show in um, Italy called Gormiti, uh, which I don't know when it'll make it to the States, but it's kind of a younger action show, uh, which is a lot of fun to work on. And then personally, I'm trying to... Um, Bad Dog, the first arc of Bad Dog is finishing up, uh, finally, after a long hiatus. Um, Four Eyes I'm going to get to for next year. I'm really trying to get caught up on my creator-owned books. And then I have a few new projects. I have an all-ages book called Kid Savage uh, with an artist named Ilya. That's mostly drawn right now. I'm not soliciting anything until it's finished, finished. Um, that'll be next year. And then uh, two really, really interesting graphic novels I'm excited about. One's an adult action thing called Snowflake, uh, and the other one uh, is sort of untitled, and I can't say who the artist is, but when we finally announce it, uh, for me, it's a humongous... Uh, it, it, I'm so excited. It's going to be a great project. That's great. I think people are going to freak out. Huh. Um, speaking of people freaking out, uh, a lot of people try to draw their own comics, write their own comics. Um, what kind of advice would you give to somebody who is looking to break into the industry? Um, first of all, just do it. I mean, I know that sounds really simple and obvious, but we put so many hurdles in our own way about, oh, well, how, how is somebody going to read my book? Or how am I going to find an artist? Or how am I going to sell? And we, we put ourselves in this box of, like, paralysis. The fact is, is if you sit down and just write or sit down and just draw and then have a little bit of courage so you put it out there, you start to find the collaborators you need, the audience. Oh, these things will come to you. But most people, you know, it's sort of like, a, we always describe it like a pyramid. It's like people, a lot of people talk about comics and then a few people actually work on it and then less people finish and then less people tell people that they finished. And, you know, it just keeps going up until you get into this rarefied area. Um, be one of those people, you know, finish things. That's, that's what I can say. And if you're a writer, you got to write every day. If you're an artist, you have to draw every day. Um, take criticism. And we live in the land, you know, I mean, I, I got involved in this about 16 years ago. You guys live in a land where you can put something on the internet and it can literally be found by thousands of people. You don't have to rely on traditional publishing anymore. So, any avenue that makes sense or that you're comfortable with, social networking, all that great stuff really propels people's careers now. That's awesome. That's good advice. Um, so let me, I'll ask you one more question. Yeah, sure. What is your, you personally, what is your single, what do you think is your single greatest accomplishment in the industry so far? Like, what are you the most proud of? Um, gosh, it's hard to say. I mean, I'm, I'm extremely proud of I Kill Giants. I really am. Um, because it was one of those things that, uh, you know, for me, I was a little out of the box from the kind of things that I do, but I, it felt so personal that to have it connect to people and to get some accolades, and that, that really has been amazing. Um, so that that's really up there. If I had to pick one, it's it's I Kill Giants for sure. That's awesome. All right, well, Joe, thank you so much for talking with us, sitting down, and it's been an honor and a pleasure. Oh, thank you. So, me too. Thank you very much. All right, thank you. So... Mike Norton, yes. how is your con going so far? Fantastic. I couldn't ask for a better experience right now. Uh, you're doing a sketch right now, huh? Yes. What are you sketching right now? I am sketching Swamp Thing, somebody I never draw, because 
I don't think I've... No, I've never drawn him professionally before. <laughs> um, so, uh, other than the con, have you done anything uh, cool here in uh, NYC? No, not this time. Uh, it's been just nothing but show this time. Uh, last year, I got around and walked all over, and we went... Um, took a boat ride and saw the Statue of Liberty and went to Central Park, did all the touristy things, except for go up in the Empire State Building. But, uh, yeah, I love it here. Uh, yeah, me and my girlfriend loved it. Um, so, before we get into your current work, uh, one of our my co-hosts on the show, Steve, loves the Runaways. Oh. So he would kill me if I didn't ask you what it was like to work on the book and, you know, experience of working there. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, it was awesome. It was a dream come true for me because I was a huge fan of the book. And when I got asked to uh, draw it, my first actual, I mean, seriously, this ran through my head. I was like... I kind of don't want to draw it because I like reading it, you know? And, and now I'm just going to be stressed out about it. But it was it was super exciting. Uh, Brian K. Vaughn is one of the my favorite writers in comics, I think. He writes some of the, the smartest and most entertaining and cinematic comics out there. And, I mean, you can't ask for more than that. Um, yeah, it was just a dream come true. The only the only problem with it is that I only got to draw my favorite runaway for three panels, and that was Gert, because they <laughs> killed her off in the arc before I got on there, which I didn't know about before I did it. So that was the disappointment. I read the issue before my script. I was like, oh, no. So, um, Have you been reading Saga? I have. I love it. Love it. Absolutely love it. It's pretty great. We, we talked to uh, Fiona Staples a couple, uh, a couple months ago. At this show, she is awesome. Yeah, yeah. She did this amazing. I'm, I'm sure you've seen it around. This amazing variant cover for Archie. It's a, a Josie and the Pussycats cover. Oh, you know what? I have a beef with that because I, I, uh, I. They asked me to draw a jo- uh, Archie cover, and I, and and so they said, hey, uh, you know, Francesco Francavilla and and Fiona Staples did one. Are you interested in doing it? And I said, sure. And I went and I looked at their covers, and I'm like, I can't do better than this. <laughs> Are you kidding me? These are they've they've used all the good ideas. I can't do that. And so yeah, but yeah, it was an awesome cover. Um, so another member of our show, uh, Stephanie. She uh, pretty much the week before and the week after Revival comes out, all for all three issues. She's been telling people to go buy it. Uh, we we love the book uh, on the show and uh, just want to know about you know how that idea came about and the conception and what it's the reception's been like for you on that. Well, first of all, thank you. That's super awesome. I mean, you guys are the reason I'm able to afford to sit on my couch and play with my dogs. Uh, but the idea, I mean, the idea was pretty much all Tim. I mean, he he comes up with like three fantastic ideas a week, and uh, we share a studio with each other, and every once in a while he'll, he'll tell us about them. he say, hey, what does this sound like? And he'll... They'll give us the vague outline, or, or not even an outline, just a concept, and we'll either go, eh, that's not quite there yet, which is what I did with Revival. I was like, I, I don't know if that's a comic book or, or anything, you know, and then he got, yeah, maybe, and then he'll go on to his other, things. my ideas aren't any better. I mean, I, I, I had an idea the other day I was telling you about, it's about a, a hunter whose wife is reincarnated as a deer, and it's called Deer Hunter. <laughs> but, uh, so he's like, okay. And he goes back, 
And then we're eating lunch again, and he's like, hey, what if we did that story and and add this element to it, which was the the dead people coming back to life. And I was like, well, that's cool, but zombies kind of suck now. I'm tired of zombies. He's like, no, not zombies. I was like, well, how does that work? So I was already interested. He's like, how does that work? And he's like, let me tell you. And, uh, and so I was on, I was like, I kind of want to draw that. Uh, cause usually he gets other people to draw his ideas. And I bet I was too busy at the time I was doing some Marvel stuff and I, I didn't, I was kind of afraid to do a creator own book because, you know, you got to make a living and a lot of times you can't on those. And, uh, but this was really good and I decided, well, I'm going to risk it and I'm going to draw this book and then we'll pitch it after we draw it. So I drew quite a bit of issue one before we even talked to Image just because we wanted to make this comic. And uh, obviously they went for it. And uh, it's just been a, just super lucky. People have really caught on to it and I'm so appreciative for about it. It's, it's, it's the dream, you know? It's exactly what you want to do when you start making comics. At this point, a patron comes up, asks how much a print is, Mike responds with $10, and he just walks away. And so you're going to hear the reaction that Mike has to this, and you'll hear actually Tim Seeley, the writer of Revival, in the background. That was amazing. I just got robbed. Oh, you got no. <laughs> Did you just see that? What? He goes, how much are these? I said, oh, those are $10. He said, thank you, and he rolled it up and walked off. That's amazing. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. Because he probably could have taken it without you even realizing it. Yeah. <laughs> but he had to call it out. <laughs> yeah, if he just... That's, that's incredible. So, you know, there's some pretty brutal things happening in Revival. Yeah. Um, you know, where do you kind of get the inspiration to, you know, go to those places for, for those things? That's a good question. I don't necessarily think... I mean, I don't like... Uh, well, that's not exactly true. I mean, I like horror movies and stuff, but I am not necessarily a fan of of torture or hurting or anything like disturbing in a film. Um, on this, anytime something disturbing happens, I want it to be very powerful because I want these I want it to read like these are normal pro- people, and nothing like this has ever happened before. So when something terrible happens, I want you to go, holy crap, nothing like this has ever happened before. <laughs> and, uh, and that's hard to do this day and age because, you know, horror is such a big genre and it's, the people are desensitized to everything in, in particular. So it was very important that we made this a very subtle comic so that when the big moments of holy crap happen, that it really emphasizes. So we've made it a very slow burn and we have very controlled... Uh, elements of of surprise and terror in the story. Well, I mean, there's a, you know the one scene in the bar where she gets in a fight, and I mean that's nothing to do with any sort of horror element at all. But it's so brutal, and, and you feel every every punch. You know, we yeah we I we wanted it to go like holy crap, this lady is going overboard. What is going on? And and because uh, you know that's what violence is like. You get hit, you don't wipe your nose off like a kung fu movie and hit back. You you go down usually, and you start bleeding, or things fall off of you. And um, 
we wanted to show that M is kind of realizing she doesn't have to worry about that anymore. She, 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 it hurts her just as much as it would us, but she doesn't care anymore because she has no fear of death. So I wanted to show how brutal violence is anyway, you know, because I mean, it, it's easy when people are reading The Crow and, and other comics where the dead come back to life and you're just like, oh, well, that's the hook. He can't die, so jump off this building, you know? And we wanted to show that it's not fun to get killed, you know? It's not fun to get stabbed in the face, even if it doesn't kill you, you know? So that was the point behind that. Uh, well, the, the book is great. Uh I want to move on to one other thing, uh, Battle Pug, which is uh, your webcomic. Um, it was collected by Dark Horse, right, into a volume. Um, now, it, it's, a, it's a pretty out there idea. Uh, it's a really fun idea. Where did you come up with that idea, and how did you decide to take it to a webcomic and, you know, the genesis of that? Well, it was originally a t-shirt idea. I mean, I didn't, I, um, I didn't have any original characters of my own at the time, and they said, come on, make up something that we can sell on a t-shirt. And I was, uh, I was a little uh, stumped. And the first thing that honestly came to my head was drawing a guy riding a giant pug. And I, I, only a psychiatrist could tell you what, you know, is really behind the idea of this. Because I just like, I like pugs. I like animals in general. And after I designed it, people asked about, so when's this comic coming out? So I had to think about making a comic and I was just now starting to get into writing my own material and so I, I brainstormed over it a long time and, and this is what I came up with I was like this is will be my experiment and my opportunity to draw everything that I've always wanted to do which is basically dogs and naked women <laughs> that's great um, so you know, for people out there, what else do you have on the shelves? What else is coming? Let people know, you know, where they can find your work. Well, everywhere. I mean, I'm, I've got um, stuff monthly uh, with It Girl and the Atomics at Image. I have Revival at Image. Um, I am drawing backgrounds for Jamie McKelvey on Aven Young Avengers. Um, I have a mini-series coming out from Dark Horse in January called The Answer, which is another property that I own. And um, what else am I doing? I'm sure I'm forgetting something. Um, one question about Icarus and the Atomics. Obviously, um, you're drawing characters who that you, obviously you didn't create and that you didn't conceive. And how has it been working on that book, Ben? It's totally fun. It, it's, uh, it makes it, when I say this, it makes it sound like I'm not doing much work, but it's kind of brainless fun for me because, because it's already been created and already did such a great job with these designs. But this is just fun for me. I like drawing straight up superhero stuff that somebody else has already done all the legwork. <laughs> and and I, I'm just playing in somebody's sandbox, you know? It's, it's, it's fun and it's whimsical and it's everything that most superhero comics aren't these days, you know. So uh, 
I'm going to just keep doing it until I either don't have time or just am not having any more fun, you know. All Red's uh, FF book, I'm so excited for it. I know, right? I know. It's like <laughs> totally not what you expected. And that's what he does, you know. And hopefully we're doing a little bit of that, but, you know, he's the master. It's like that, that, that book is going to sell like crazy. And his issue of Daredevil he did and his issue of Wolverine and the X-Men have both been... All perfect, you know. I mean, you can't beat that guy. That's why he's... That's why he's Mike Allred, you know. He's the man. Yeah. Um, so, are you doing obviously working on a lot of stuff? Or are you getting a chance to read anything? Rarely. I mean, I, I I have checked some stuff out. I mean, I I I recently got into Rachel Rising, which I got a little nervous because I was like, oh, it's another Dead Girl comic. <laughs> I hope he doesn't get mad. Um, but I love that. It's totally different. But but yeah completely creepy and and uh which is weird for terry moore you know it's like this is amazing um and uh i been i read underwater welder by jeff lemire which was great uh more moody you know heartfelt uh family stories from that guy i mean he knows how to do that stuff better than anyone um, yeah, that guy's work, it like he like punches me in the gut. Every everything he writes. It's like you gotta wear a bulletproof vest when you wear when you read Jeff Lemire's stuff because he's gonna get you. And uh, uh, what else have I read? I know I've read some stuff. I read Archer and Armstrong by Fred Van Linty, and, and that was great. I didn't expect that to be. I, I don't know what that. It's not an insult to them. I just didn't expect. Uh, a valiant superhero comic to tickle my fancy, and it it, it totally did. Um, I know there's tons of other stuff, but I can't really remember what it is. Well, you're giving us plenty. I won't take up any more of your time. Uh, my Gordon, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, and this Swamp Thing sketch is coming along nicely. Thanks. <laughs> uh, hey, everybody. What's going on? It's Steve. I am down on uh, in Artist Alley. And we're talking to Shelly and Katie Oswicky, who are, uh, I guess, independent artists. Yes? Uh, they're identical twins. They're very friendly, and their art is absolutely incredible. I will uh, be posting some uh, images for you guys to check out when this is posted. So, um, let's just first, how are you enjoying the con? It's been great this year. Um, we've met a lot of really cool people and sold a lot of art, so, so far so good. <laughs> it's, it's been a good year. Even better than last year. So. Better than last year? Yeah, we're having a great time. It's even better than last year. Last awesome. year was good too, it's even better this year. Awesome. Um, so, how did you both get started in, in drawing and, and doing your art? Um, I think like a lot of artists, we've just always done it. There was never like a point where we're like, I'm just going to start drawing. We just grew up drawing, so and it just progressed from there. Same? Yeah, same. Right, you know what? It's probably going to be the same on both ends. I'm just realizing this now. Um, you ask about our childhood. It's, it, we grew up together. Okay. So, all right. Well, then, hold on. Let's get specific. You have, you, you do um, renditions of Wednesday Adams. Yep, I have a series of them. Okay. Why Wednesday Adams? Um, we were actually both involved in an Adams Family themed gallery show. So, all the artwork in it had to have somehow be related to the Adams Family. And I think Wednesday Adams is amazing. So, that was my theme. But it's based on the original show, which was fun, as opposed to the movies, which were really dark. 
Yeah. Barry Sonnefeld's a very good director, though. But yeah, I had a. Versions, but the, the show is different. Yes, yes. I had a major infatuation with uh, Wednesday Adams growing up. I used to hang out at this beach house, and it was just reruns of Adams Family all the time. So I am I'm a huge fan. Uh, so what um like where what are you looking to do with your art? Where do you want to take it? Where do you want to like do you want to work on a comic book? Are you going to be getting a collection book together or anything? Um, outside of my regular job, which is making video game art, um, I'm actually hoping to break into more children's illustration and children's comics. And obviously, my work is very much kind of geared towards children and very happy and and fun. So I'm hoping to kind of kind of get in that area. <laughs> um, I uh, my daytime job is I'm actually a high school art teacher and I do freelance work for Lego, uh, doing Lego comics. So I like to continue to do comics, particularly geared towards kids or girls, because that's a, an area that I particularly am interested in, and I also would like to do more children's art illustration. That's awesome. Um, so who, who are some of your influences? Do you have any? I have lots. Uh, Bill Watterson is one of my favorites, of course. Calvin that's like, that's like everybody's favorite. Um, it's the best comic strip ever. Yeah. Uh, actually, uh, Hayao Miyazaki, I'm a big fan of his work. Chris Grimley. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, quite a, quite a few. Um, Calvin and Hobbes is probably the biggest one. You know, they grew up with them. <laughs> I actually follow a number of contemporary Disney artists um, because I just love looking at their work. Uh, I like Brittany Lee. She's she's one I follow online. That's awesome. All right, so let's see. What um? All right, one more question. What's with the toast? Why why, why the toast? <laughs> I was sitting in a, a graduate school class eating toast and doing everything I could to not pay attention. So I was just kind of doodling in my in the corner of my you know um, notebook, and I started drawing toast, attacking the toaster, and then kind of made a series of images based off of that. Um, just because they were, I thought they were funny. So others might also find them funny. <laughs> So, what, um, I'm looking at these here, and, like, what's your, what, what is your absolute favorite thing to draw? I know you have a lot of different things here, but what is, like, what do you get the most satisfaction out of drawing, like, actual characters or animals? Um, I've been drawing a lot of animals lately, but actually, uh, drawing actual characters, particularly kids, uh, we had a pretty awesome childhood, so we kind of, I kind of draw on that and think of all the fun things that, you know we did as kids and try to just draw kids having fun and people seem to like it so all right one last question what's better the dark crystal or labyrinth labyrinth <laughs> labyrinth. labyrinth good choice <laughs> david bowie how could you go wrong yeah every every girl's gonna answer david bowie <laughs> Awesome. All right, well, thank you so much for talking with us, and uh, we wish you all the best and all the success in your work. It is gorgeous, and uh, I hope you have a great time with the rest of the con. All right, thank you. All right, thanks. So, here with Warren Spector, obviously lead designer uh, on F Mickey 2, um, just so that people know, at home know where we, who we are. Um, so, the game looks great. Uh, looks great. Uh, so, I mean, I got you, we, I have plenty of audio talking about the game, and, you know, but I was really interested about, you closed out talking a little bit about iOS devices and the future of games and stuff like that, and I just wanted to get more of your thoughts on that. Like, you know, it's been, there's a stigma around iPhone games, I think, right now, and I think that there are plenty of good ones, but they haven't really broken through to, to be a device that I guess, I hate using the word hardcore gamers, I think it's a stupid, stupid term, but, you know, to believe in it, and you seem to feel that there is a way around that, though. Well, I, I think we have to find a way around right. it. Uh, anytime 
you know, you have essentially a billion people carrying around a game console in their pocket. You kind of have to figure out how to make it work. And, and I, you know, look, I, one of my mottos, I'm a man of many mottos. One of my mottos is fail gloriously. You know, it's better to fail gloriously than to succeed at something mediocre. And there, there are just a couple of impossibly hard problems to solve to make uh, a tablet or a phone uh, a really compelling game device. Uh, how do you make a real game that does, on a device that has no buttons and no joysticks? No one knows how to do that. That's why it's worth trying to figure out. And how do you make a real game that... Um, on a platform where people are really have been trained over the last you know several years to play in thirty second chunks or five minute chunks if you're lucky, so I, I just really want to play with that. I want to tackle that, and you know if we fail, we fail. Oh my god, the consequences for failure in video games are. Oh wait, there are none. You know, it's like oh no, world peace is compromised. Oh no, cancer is not cured. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. we're making video games, guys. Lighten up. Yeah. And uh, so I just like to play with it because I think anytime you have a potential audience as big as the mobile audience and devices as freaking powerful as you know i ipads and android tablets are why would you not play with that so what do you think of uh, do you think a controller solution is something that would be a good thing or do you think that it's i don't know more satisfying more realistic to want to use the device only on its own without you know third-party attachments or what have you well anytime you uh you depend on a third party, you know, to make your, your platform viable. You're asking for trouble, mm-hmm. I think. I mean, like, imagine if, if the, you know, Nintendo shipped uh, the, the Wii without, a, without controllers. Yeah. You know? So I think you have to look at the device as every human on the planet owns it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, that's what, but again, that's part of the fun, right? I mean, if it's just, oh, yeah, let's connect a USB controller to it, it's already solved. I mean, you know, the, 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 the current I, I, uh, the current iPad is already as powerful as, you know, what, it's somewhere between a PS2 and a PS3 yeah. in terms of its capabilities. I mean, we're already there. Yeah. So, uh, no, I think the real challenge is no buttons, no sticks. What do you do? Mm-hmm. Virtual joysticks, we all know those suck. Yeah. Virtual <laughs> buttons that you press with your thumb on the screen, we know those suck. Yeah. So what do you do? Yeah. No idea. Um, Alexander, you, you talked before during the talk about, you know, big budget games and how, you know, which to to do make the kind of games you want to make, you need time and money to do that. Um, but it, it seems, you know, that kind of the middle of the road game is starting to get squeezed out in a lot of ways. Um, and I don't mean quality, I just mean production value and, and budgets and stuff like that. And um, do you think there's ever going to be a place for them again? Because, you know, in the movie world, there are $100 million movies, there are $5 million movies, and there are $30 million movies. You know, there, there's room for all. Do you think there's ever a place for many tiers of video games or do you think it's going to turn out to be big budget and indie and that's about it i uh, you know i certainly hope there's room for sort of the middle ground but i i don't see it now and i i'm i certainly am not smart enough to know how to do it uh when when all of my friends are spending 40 50 100 million dollars and you know if i have 25 to spend hypothetically this is all hypothetical yeah, yeah, at this course, point course, yeah. but you know it it's like I can't compete. I'm not that smart, mm-hmm. you know. If if you're if you're spending two million dollars or six hundred thousand dollars or something, you know, expectations are so much lower, and and you need to appeal to so so much smaller an audience that you know there it, 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 there's a business model for low end and high end mm-hmm. stuff. Stuck in the middle is pretty pretty dramatic. I mean, it's basically like publishing. I mean, mid list authors are 
in a world of trouble right now. It's all bestsellers, right? Yeah. Or or self-publishing, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so I, I, I think it's a problem that, that someone has to solve, but it's going to have to be someone smarter than me. And uh, you mentioned we're working with podcasts and we're here at Comic-Con, and uh, I know Peter David is working on the graphic novel adaptation or has done the graphic novel adaptation of Mickey 2. We actually had him as a guest on our show uh, a couple months ago, um, but it's not coming out here. So what is, what's going on with that? Uh, I wish I knew. Uh, I encourage everyone to ask someone from Disney that, because <laughs> I do all the time. Um, no, it, it's it, if you live in in Europe or Australia or just about anywhere else in the world, you'll be able to to buy and enjoy the wonderful Epic Mickey Two Power of Two graphic novel written by Peter David and uh, based on a, a game script by Marv Wolfman. Who, oh wow! Marv, we we worked with Marv on uh, on the, the script for the game. Uh, I mean, I've written Ducktales comics. I wrote I wrote four issues of Ducktales last year for Boom <laughs> Studios, and I mean, we're all comics fans and we're not going to be able to buy our own comic in the united states that's sad that's sad so uh yeah everybody talk to disney get that out there because i would take a look at it here and it's beautiful uh it really is um so you said you're a comic fan what other comics do you do you like well uh you know i mean i I grew up reading well pretty much everything oh my god uh and i i've had the the privilege of uh writing a a choose-your-own-adventure book called One Thing After Another, wow. featuring the Fantastic Four, which Stan Lee got to... I got to type the words, it's clobbering time, <laughs> and Stan Lee read them, and uh, I, I got to uh, talk to him uh, about a year ago, and he, he autographed my copy of my my One Thing After Another book. I uh, love the Fantastic Four. Uh, I'll tell you, the, the thing I've been, I've been uh, jonesing on recently, though, is uh, the, the New 52 stuff from D.C., yeah. Love the Justice League. I mean, the stuff yeah. that Jeff Johns is doing on the Justice League is pretty amazing. So mm-hmm. I've really enjoyed that. Um, you know, you mentioned Peter David a minute ago. Uh, I've, I've, I've now known Peter. I know Peter pretty well. And he, he told me about uh, this series of Atlantis stories he wrote, uh, Aquaman stories. Yeah. And oh, yeah, they're, they're great. I'd never read them. So yeah. I, I went out at, at Comic-Con in San Diego, actually. Mm-hmm. I went and bought them. And and loved him. Terrific, terrific series. So. Yeah, it's interesting. With him, he, you know, right now Jeff Johns is also writing Aquaman, and mm-hmm. he's got a lot of credit for making Aquaman cool again. Like it, and you know, but Peter did some great things. With Aquaman, you know, putting the, the hook hand and everything. It was you know, amazing stuff. Amazing stuff. Um, if you like Jeff Johns, though, his Green Lantern run is oh, yeah. amazing. You know, hey. When when I was a kid, I spent most of my time staring at the ground because. I said, I'm going to find a power ring. I'm never going to be from a, a planet with a red sun. I'm never going to like get spilled chemicals on me and become super fast. I'm never going to get bitten by a radioactive spider. I could find a power ring. And I wanted to be Green Lantern. He's my favorite, favorite hero, wow. for sure. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm down with Green Lantern. Awesome, awesome. So thank you for talking to us, Warren. Um, when does Epic Mickey 2 hit stores? November 18th. It's a very important date in Disney history, and I'll let all of your listeners figure out why. All right, a little mystery for you guys. So thank you very much, Warren. All right, we are back. So I hope you guys enjoyed all those interviews. Um, you know, additionally on the site at TalkingComicBooks.com, I, uh, we put up the full audio of the Womanthology panel. You guys will be able, to, be able to hear the full audio of the DC New 52 panel and the Marvel Now Avengers panel. Uh, you know, the audio in those obviously is not as good as some of the interviews because we're just rolling a recorder from wherever we are in the hall. 
but it's up there for you guys to listen to if you want to. We also have uh, talks with uh, the developer of War of Heroes, which is a iOS game and a mobile game from Marvel and NG Moco. And we also have Steve talked to uh, Manga Studio, you know, about their products and about their art software. So you're going to get all those stuff up there as well, as well as the uh, the full uh, talk War Inspector gave us for Disney Disney Epic Mickey 2. So you'll be able to hear all of that stuff um, out there for you guys. I just obviously didn't want to give you guys hours and hours and hours to, to sift through on the podcast feed, but they will be on the website. You can just stream them. Um, and thanks to Mixcloud for that. They're a great service. They just... And we're not sponsored by them or anything, but you can put up, there's no time limit and no size limit to the files you put up there. It's absolutely free. So this has been a lifesaver for this kind of audio and going in the future, we'll know we can use it. So every panel we go to, we'll make sure to record and get up for you guys. Um, so, uh, I do want to say, uh, we have a lot of emails from people. You get a lot of questions and we're going to get to them. We promise, you know, obviously this has been a little bit of a different situation for us since we, you know, basically spent four days, uh, working and I, I figured, you know, to give the team off a day off tonight, uh, when we usually record. So that's why we're not getting, you guys aren't getting a new podcast. And I really wanted you guys to hear these interviews. Uh, so they're all going up and, uh, we're going to enter emails, you know, back on the Twitter train, back on the normal, the normal, uh, talking comics schedule as of next week. Um, but I didn't want to go another week without giving you guys the releases for this week because I know some of you guys listen to the show on Wednesday mornings and then go out and get your books and you kind of make a list based on our, our thing. So I'll, let me just go through real quick what we've got coming out. Um, from Boom, we have Peanuts Volume 2, number 3. Uh, we have BPRD 1948, number 1, from Dark Horse. Also from Dark Horse, we have Billy the Kid's Old Timey Oddities and the Orm of Loch Ness, number one. That's a mouthful. X Sanguine, number one. We have Michael Avon Oming's The Victories, number three. Orchid, number ten. Star Wars Agent of the Empire, Hard Targets, number one. So, of course, we have a wonderful Star Wars long name to put out there. Um, from DC, we have American Vampire Lord of Nightmares, number five. We have Batwoman, number thirteen. We have Before Watchmen, Minutemen, number four. Birds of Prey, number 13, Blue Beetle, number 13, Catwoman, number 13, DC Universe Presents, number 13, Green Lantern, New Guardians, number 13, uh, Hellblazer, number 296, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, number 3 of 6, Justice League, number 13, Legion of Superheroes, number 13, Nightwing, number 13, Red Hood and the Outlaws, number 13, Saucer Country, number 8, we have Supergirl, number 13, Sword of Sorcery, number 1, Wonder Woman number 13, and Young Justice number 21. From Dynamite, we have the After Earth one-shot. We have Garth Ennis's Jennifer Blood number 18, Green Hornet number 29, Lone Ranger Snake of Iron number 3, Peter Cannon Thunderbolt number 2, Prophecy number 4 of 7. We have Thunder number 3, Warlord of Mars, Deja Thoris number 17, Witchblade Demon Reborn number 3. From IDW, we have Barack Obama, the comic book biography, hardcover, new edition. We have Cape, 1969, number four of four. We have Classic Popeye, number three. Dungeons and Dragons, Forgotten Realms, number four. Fishtown, hardcover. G.I. Joe, Real, Real American Hero, number 183. Godzilla, Half Century War, number three. Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow, number 18. Um, Womanthology Space, number two. Zossers of Zilk, number one. 
sorry, just Zosser of Zilk, not Zossers. Image Comics, we have Activity number 9. We have Chu, number 29. We have Cyberforce, number 1. We have Darkness, number 107. We have Glory, number 29. We have It Girl and the Atomics, number 3. We have No Place Like Home, number 5. We have Not My Bag, graphic novel. We have Savage Dragon, number 182. We have Shinku, number 5. We have Walking Dead, number 103. From Marvel Comics, A-Babies versus X-Babies, number 1. Avengers Assemble, number 8. We have AVX Consequences, number 2. We have Captain Marvel, number 5. Daredevil, number 19. Daredevil, not Daredevil. Uh, Dark Avengers, number 182. Guns, Dark, Tower, Dark Tower, The Gunslinger, The Man in Black, number 505. Disney Pixar Cars Magazine, number 9. Gambit, no, sorry, it's reprint. Hawkeye, number 3, yes. We have Marvel Now, point one, number 1. We have Marvel Superheroes, number 4. Marvel Zombies Halloween, number 1. Mighty Thor, number 21. New Avengers, number 31. We have Punisher Max, Homeless Trade Paperback. Ultimate Comics Iron Man, number 1 of 4. Ultimate Comics Spider-Man, number 16. Uncanny X-Men, number 20, which is the final issue of Uncanny X-Men. We have Untold Tales of the Punisher Max, number 5 of 5. Venom, number 26. X-Factor, number 245. From Oni Press, we have Courtney Crumming, Crumren, number 6. Mike Norton's The Curse graphic novel, Sixth Gun, number 26. Um, and from Valiant, we have Harbinger, number 5, Exo Man of War, number 6. And from Grim Fairy Tales, we have Grim Fairy Tales presents Sleepy Hollow, number 1, and Grim Fairy Tales presents Godstorm, number 1. All right, so that is it for the Talking Comics podcast for this week, and it also wraps up our Comic-Con coverage, really. Um... If you guys would like to let us know how we did, uh, info at TalkingComicBooks.com is the email address, at TalkingComics is the Twitter, uh, Facebook.com slash TalkingComics, obviously, is our Facebook page. Um, my personal Twitter is at Bobby Shortle, Steve's is at Dead underscore Anchorus, Stephanie's is Hello Cookie, and obviously you can get in touch with Bob at Bob Ryer at TalkingComicBooks.com. I want to thank all of our contributors who during Comic-Con, in the week of Comic-Con, kicked ass with reviews. You guys put up, you guys put up a ton of reviews, and David Short and Travis McCollum, you guys kicked major butt with uh, getting news up from the con because, you know, we're stuck in the Javits Center, no Wi-Fi, you know, running around with our, like a chickens with their heads cut off, uh, you know, went... You guys were just amazing. Um, check out Steve's cosplay article. He took a lot of pictures, a lot of great stuff. Such talented people there. I want to give a shout out to Harry and uh, Super Bad Larry and uh, I Am Giant Woman. Uh, and Ryan Carroll, who I did not meet, but I saw you and saw you ask a question at the Avengers panel. Um, you know, it was so, so great to meet some of our listeners, and hopefully in the future we'll get to meet more of you. But I will say in absentia, Thank you from Bob and Stephanie and Steve. And I have been Bobby. And until next time on Talking Comics, to be continued. Continued.